Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast. Jason here, and this is episode 64 with romance author Bob Young. Yes, we have a romance author back on the show again. I can't wait to share that interview with him, and uh, you're going to love his reading. It's it's a great little setup for his romantic book uh, called Julia's Bombardier. So be sure to stay tuned. It's going to be coming up here in just a few minutes. But I do want to take a moment and say thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody, for giving me what has now become a record-setting month. And this isn't even the last episode of the month. I still have one more episode before the month is over, but we've already set the record. And, you know, I'm I'm just blown away by the response and by the way this show is growing in leaps and bounds. Thank you so much for downloading and mostly for sharing this episode, because when you find an author or story that you like and you share that with friends, that's how the show grows. That's how these authors are getting more exposure. And, you know, that's my whole goal is to give every one of these authors more exposure to help them find a new reader that they might not have found through their own friends. And, you know, so you doing what you do is helping me spread the word and share these authors. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Well, hey, I do want to make sure to point out for all of you listening right now, uh, I am aware that a lot of people, like myself included, listen to podcasts through iTunes, Spotify. Heck, you can even tell your Google to play the show. I can, I could do it right now, but then it's going to start playing <laughs> my latest episode as we speak, and I don't want to be interrupted. Anyway, my point is, for the full effect of what this show can do, make sure sometime to get on over to samplechapterpodcast.com and you can actually see on there I mentioned it last week but you can see the uh, the book covers for every one of these authors now if you're following the show on Facebook or Twitter you see that I have that tied in so that you're clicking on the book cover to listen to the episode if you're listening to it that way and you'll see that it's just one more way that I'm trying to get word out and and let you see more about each author that that uh, is a guest on the show so, but yeah, if you haven't done so yet, please uh, come on over and check out samplechapterpodcast.com and look at all these incredible covers. Uh, you know, they say you're not supposed to judge a book by a cover, but man, I sure do love the look of all these books on the shelf. And uh, you, all you have to do is click on one to hear that episode. Anyway, hey, I also want to say thank you to our longtime sponsor, Ustorall. Uh, they are the premium place for self-storage in the Warrensburg area. They have now opened up one of the two brand new climate control buildings. It's now open for business and they are being rented like crazy from my understanding. If you are in the market for self-storage, maybe you need to get some things out of your garage. Maybe you're moving. Whatever the case might be, make sure you get on over to ustoreall.net and check them out. Contact them. I highly recommend them. They're great, great people over there. That's ustoreall.net, the letter U, S-T-O-R-A-L-L, dot net. I also want to thank my friends at Pop Goes the Culture Network. Uh, they share these every one of these episodes. Uh, they give me a shout out on some of their shows every once in a while. And so I want to make sure to respond in kind because, you know, they have a lot of shows that I really enjoy listening to. And they're just, they're just really great people. And uh, it's a great network based right here in Missouri in Springfield and uh yeah you got to get on over follow the links in the show notes to uh, check them out lots and lots of shows over there for you to check out and of course I don't want to forget my other sponsor Scrivener you're going to hear the ad for them here in just a moment uh Scrivener has really helped me out especially in these last couple of weeks as I wind down my current novel I'm on the last chapter I just started it the other day and the whole reason I got to that point was because I have the Scrivener desktop on my laptop and on this here, my work uh, desktop computer. And I also have the Scrivener app 
and they're all synced together so that, that way it doesn't matter which one I'm working on once I'm done I just hit the button to save it backs up and then I can get on the move and so like last week I had a lot of days at work or I was out traveling for appointments and I would I got 15 minutes to sit in a waiting room guess what I'm gonna do I opened up my Scrivener app and uh, pulled up my my latest book and yeah that's it's because of all the wonderful things the Scrivener can do that I am where I am right now with my story like I said I just started the last chapter uh, if it wasn't for a couple of birthdays and Easter over the weekend I I think I'd have been done right now but uh, I will definitely let you know next week because I anticipate next week being done so anyway uh, I won't say too much more because we do have the ad for Scrivener coming up in just a moment uh, but uh, I do also want to say uh, if you are in the Warrensburg area coming up this weekend, that is April 27th at Reader's World, I will be there from 1 to 3 along with my friends from the Writers of Warrensburg writing group. Uh, there will be several of us authors there uh, signing books, selling books, and uh, you know, getting pictures taken. It's going to be a lot of fun. We do it every year. This is just kind of our kickoff for the year. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to have copies of my first book, Nine Mile Bridge. And there's going to be lots and lots of other great books. So make sure you get on over there to check that out. Once again, that's Reader's World this weekend, April 27th from 1 to 3 p.m. I hope to see you there. Like I said last week, if you come and you see me, make sure you tell me that you listen to the show. I'm going to give you a shout out next week. Well, hey, uh, this week's guest, as I was saying, it is adult romance author Bob Young. Uh, we met through mutual contacts on Twitter. Uh, he was recommended to me, and I was looking for a romance writer because I haven't had one on the show for a while. And I'm so grateful that I met Bob. Uh, he, he was fantastic. And I mean, not just fantastic, but he was a real trooper because we were going through lots of internet problems. It actually dropped on him once while we were uh, talking. He was telling me a story. All of a sudden, he's gone. But, uh, but you know, I, I, we were able to pick up where we left off once we got the internet restored and hopefully I got the editing done up so that you don't really notice uh, where that is. Bob and I have a wonderful chat talking about, you know, not only his, his romance writing, but character flaws, uh, his writing group and how that helped him out. And he tells me in on a, uh, a, a common debate amongst romance writers, which is should romance always have a happily ever after? Hmm, what do you think? Or an interesting idea. I, it's a, I could see how that could be a hot topic debate amongst, uh, amongst people, amongst readers and writers alike. So, what do you think? Send me a message to let me know what you think. Should romance always have a happy ending? Hey, I can't wait to hear from you right now. I'm going to get us on over to a word from our sponsor, and then we're going to hear from Bob Young. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Hello fans and friends of the Sample Chapter Podcast, Jason here, and this week I am so excited because it, it, it's been so long since I've had a romance author on, and this is a really, really exciting uh, moment for me to get to have adult romance author Bob Young on the show. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. It's really great to be here. I'm really thrilled to have you. Uh, you know, it's it, it's one of those uh, subjects I don't get to have on as often as I would like to, so I'm really looking forward to uh, to this conversation and to hear your stories. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, go ahead and tell tell the audience a little bit about yourself. 
Well, I just got published in uh, 2013 for the first time, a first novel published. So I come to the published novel aspect of writing very, very late in, in my life, uh, just a few years before I retired. But my writing interests started back when I was in graduate school, about over 45 years ago. I was guarding a building in downtown Philadelphia, near where I grew up. I, I was guarding it on third shift. So every hour, I'd have to get up and walk around for 15 minutes and key into a, a clock so that they would know I was checking the building. But then I'd have 45 minutes out of each hour to try and figure out how, what to do with myself. And so I started playing around with writing and really got started that, that summer and started writing short stories and one-act plays. Uh, theater was really my love at that point. And did write some theater over time, did some amateur theater events where I was living, and then for a long time didn't do anything. Didn't write at all, or the only writing I was doing was in my job commercial writing for the company I worked for, the nonprofit I worked for. And then a little, about 15 years ago, uh, I decided I'd, I'd start to write again because the job I had had no creative writing in it at all. And I was writing short stories and I got myself invited to a writer's group and the leaders of that writer's group after reading a couple of my short stories said, these really aren't short stories. They're really pre-writing for novels. And I sat back when I heard that and I thought, you got to be kidding me. I, you know, I had no clue that, but they said, you should really try to build the, you know, a novel, take this short story and go long form with it. And, and that's what I did. I, I actually, what I did was I strung together four short stories about the same characters in the same town into my first book. And uh, that was a, a sweet romance. Um, it was a story about a couple of high school kids who were in love and, and during World War II and all their experiences trying to make some sort of contrib contribution to the war, even though they were high school kids. So that's how it got started. And then the next couple of books were historical um, romances, historical novel romances in that same time period. Since then, I've kind of branched out and done some uh, romances that are in the near future and have added some elements to them. A couple of them are almost police procedurals. Because <laughs> uh, as one person said, uh, uh, you, you have a tendency to put your heroines in peril. And the, the stories were all about how either the police or a bodyguard or, or uh, the hero, the main character, um, gets his girlfriend out of trouble. Um, well, the next book I, I want to write is going to be a mashup of genres. I'm going to uh, write a murder mystery romance. Uh, I guess I can't help but write a book about terrorizing my heroine. Uh, she's going to, along with her boyfriend, figure out this murder mystery. But before the book is done, she's going to be through a lot of peril before she gets there. So um, I just I can't, can't help myself in that regard. The conflict in the book I'm writing now, the romance I'm writing now, is that the two people who fall in love are uh, athletes at Clemson University. Uh, the, the guy is a, a Cuban-American guy from Miami who's a, a great baseball player. And he meets uh, an Anglo girl from Charleston who has been invited by the Olympic volleyball team to try and make the team. And they fall in love, but they not only have problems with their families, with this uh, Cuban guy and the Anglo girl who's, who's uh, Episcopalian, uh, falling in love, but they also run into the fact that their travel schedules are, are crazy when um, uh, he gets uh, selected by the, uh, a Major League Baseball team and she goes off to the World Volleyball Championships in Mexico. So that, 
the, the it's the it's their ambition that separates them so that, that's that's kind of the there isn't there isn't any life and death stuff in that in that book so it's more of a, a sweet romance well that sounds it sounds great well it's been a, it's been a lot of fun i i definitely love romance i love um writing love stories i'm de uh, there's uh, always a a debate in the romance community which is quite active on Twitter. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but I made a lot of friends on Twitter who are, who are romance writers. And the debate is whether a romance always has to have a happy ending. Oh, and yeah. uh, so it's uh, happily ever after debate goes on. It flares up every other month on Twitter. But I, I definitely am in the happily ever after um, uh, group even though I try and make it a very rough road for the loving couple to get there. So uh, I really, uh, I really enjoy writing those love stories. Yeah. Well, now that was something I, I was interested in. Now, where, where did your love for writing romance come from? Actually, um, I'm kind of a, that's the strange part of my story. I, I that would be my unconventional aspect is that most of my interest in, and love stories came from uh, watching classic movies of the 40s. I mean, I'm a, a huge Bogart and Bacall fan, mm. um, uh, William Powell and Myrna Loy fan, um, any teaming, teaming of, uh, of couples like that in movies, that, that's a turn on for me. And of course, the, a lot of modern movies, you know, handle the same territory. So I'm, I guess I'm kind of a a heretic in a sense because my first love of romance came from the movies and from um fall you know really being blown away by the writing in in some of those movies and especially some of the bogart and bacall movies set in the in world war ii carried a, a lot of um political freight in this you know a story like um have and have not or Casablanca, where your your nemesis is either uh, um, the Nazis or their pals, you know, making trouble for the couple. Mm -hmm. um, but so I'm kind of a heretic in the sense that um, didn't read a lot of romance when I was younger, but I really grooved on the romance I was seeing on the screen, and and so that's where that's where it comes from. Well, I, you know, I think uh, the movies speak to a lot of us authors who maybe we're not reading a certain genre, but but my goodness, you know, it's so great to watch that uh, that genre, what, you know, whatever it is, and I think it it can inspire and uh, and really uh, build up our our need to want to explore it. Yeah, I think so too, and and I guess for, for me, it was always you know. Boy, I'd, I'd love to to write something that um, that has the same kind of emotional draw that um, has the reader uh, hoping for the success of the characters in the book, being horrified by the stuff that falls in their way, and uh, struggling with the flaws that the characters might have. Uh, my my. What I've had to work on over over the books I've written is to give my characters a, a couple of flaws. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, in, the, in some of my early books, uh, especially the first book when was written about the the teenagers who were in love, uh, it was it was all too uh, perfect, you know. Mm -hmm. it, it needed, uh, uh, I mean, there was stuff flying at them that they had to deal with. There was trouble coming at them from the outside of the relationship. But um, I've tried to give my couples more uh, some struggles within the relationship to deal with too, so it's a little more realistic <laughs> that they they may be in love with each other, but they they struggle with who each other is on on other levels. So that's like my current book is more about two 22 year olds trying to have a, a, a an exclusive love relationship and. You know, as I as I wrote to someone on Twitter, um, twenty two year olds are are 
kind of organically in love triangles. It's just part of the deal. Um, and so um, it's it's been important to show the characters' weaknesses as well as um, the love they have for each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of those weaknesses, like, so I, I write in the thriller genre, and I know uh, <clears throat> I know other authors, plenty of other authors in that genre and in the horror genre, and, and we talk about, uh, you know, weaknesses and how it's easy to put them in a circumstance that emphasizes that weakness so that, that way they can grow. Now, how, so when, when you're doing this with romance, I, I guess one, one of the things I'm trying to say is, in horror or thrillers or something like that, it's easy to just have a character do something stupid. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you should have uh, not gone to that room or when you heard that sound in there. Uh, so in romance, how do you emphasize that, that growth or move on to something to, to grow? Well, uh, what seems to work for me is, is uh, finding something in their character that is undeveloped, uh, uh, it, I, I have my own history to, to feed on there. I, I often tease that I didn't finish uh, adolescence until I was 50. Um, and so my own experience is kind of a guide for my characters uh, so that there's some sort of internal um, part of who they are that, that isn't developed for one reason or another. I, I, I let their backgrounds be their flaw. Sometimes it's family of origin. Sometimes it's just something they've never seen before. Some of my like one of my heroines, um, her the book her book begins when she walks in on her boyfriend who's with another woman in bed, and she just had and she she didn't see it coming. And and the rest, the whole rest of the book, she learns how to see the world more clearly, um, and 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 it remains a flaw of hers, you know, walking into situations that she doesn't seem to see the danger in, uh, um, not seeing the flaws of the guys she's with, not hearing the the clue that would tell her to walk away um, uh, and and that's kind of how I try and and, and add that uh, the complication of just being a human being into into the book so that the character isn't perfect um, so it, it's usually something along that line mm -hmm. um, the the guy that that heroine meets uh, as she tries to figure out what to do with the left of the rest of her life, that she she um, actually ends up with, she thinks that guy is gay for about six months, mm -hmm. and his flaw is he he's the clues she's giving him he's giving her are the kind of clues that would confirm her her assessment of him. Um, he's just you know he he. Uh, She's trying to decide what kind of furniture to buy for her apartment in Albuquerque, and he takes her home to show him to show her his place, which is impeccable. And she just reads that as a sign that the guy's gay because he has an impeccable taste. Um, now that might be a that's a huge cliche, but it it works to show how she's not reading this guy correctly, and and he is so. And he happens to be so broken because um, his the girl he loved just up and took off and did her operatic career on the East Coast and left him in New Mexico. So he approaches a woman he might be attracted to and just assumes that he's she's he's going to get dumped. So it's it's stuff like that that that. Um, I don't know if it's more internal or it's um, you're using the, the the flaws that human beings just walk around with all the time, and you turn it into big trouble. Okay, yeah. Well, I can see that. Uh, I can see that working out really well for you. Well, it, one of the things I really like here, with looking through your books and reading about all of them, is how they they take place in different timelines. Uh, you get historical, some futuristic, and then some of the contemporary are, are like a police procedural. 
Uh, do you find that helps you get your story that you're trying to tell, putting them in different times like this? Yeah, the, the I, I'm not sure which comes first, whether it's the it's the locale I want to play around with or the time period. I'm like I, my first couple of books, I was just fascinated with um, World War II because it was the generation uh, ahead, ahead of me mm-hmm. uh, in life. My dad was out of the service like two years and he married my mom and, and they had me almost immediately. So, but I'm fascinated with the people who watched the war happen or were in the war. Uh, and so that's why the first couple of books are written in, in, on the home front uh, as they try and put up with their husbands, sons, and fathers away. Um, but then I got a, got the bug for uh, futuristic, not necessarily sci-fi. I, I read sci-fi authors, and I'm just blown away by the worlds they create. So I feel a little safer just being a little futuristic, writing something that's like 10 years or 15 years into the future where we know – we already know some of the some of the um, the things that are going to be around that change life a lot, uh, and, and it's a little easier for me. But then um, when I do that, sometimes, like the book I was talking before about the the woman who has her boyfriend cheat on her, she happens to be an engineer, and I have her go to Albuquerque and join the a company like uh, Space One, a fictitious company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she meets her boyfriend working on the crew cabin for the first Mars vehicle. And that's where she meets her boyfriend. Oh, wow. So so I because I, I like, I've enjoyed reading some of the books that some of the, the Mars pioneer um, uh, entrepreneurs have written. And, and how they view how how they're going to um, colonize Mars, how they're going to uh, you know operate the you know what are the inexpensive ways of, of running um, people out there and back the, those kinds of things. Um, I needed I needed a place where a private organization had uh, could do a, a private public partnership with the Air Force to do their launches or their especially their test launches. And there, and in um, New Mexico, in the south of New Mexico, New Mexico, you have White Sands uh, rocket area where the Air Force has tested rockets for ages. Mm-hmm. So it was that, that's what moved me to to set things there. But the other thing is, I'm so unsettled yet on. I know a lot of writers are in their genre; they stay within that vein. They they never get out of their lane and um, it works for them. And all, all of their books are in a, in a romance lane that's very identifiable. They're known for it. I guess the fact that I'm really a new writer, first published in 2013, I'm still trying, I haven't found that lane that I'm going to settle into. So for me, it's more, I can't settle down. I want to play around still. The murder mystery is another sign of that. Um, and, and um, someone someone said once, uh, hey, I haven't read uh, an, an arranged marriage uh, romance lately. And I went, oh, I haven't written one of those. I, I got to go learn about uh, arranged marriages and see how. I... So it's like I'm a kid in the candy store still. I don't, you know, I pr- I, I'm probably going through what people who start writing in high school are going through you know, go through. They, they play around and find their genre and then they're fine. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to live long enough to, uh, to find my lane. I, I, I'm easily distracted. Oh, that's okay. I mean, I, I, one thing I've learned on this show is it, uh, it, it's okay, I think, to stray outside your lane and write the stories that you have inside you uh, because, you know, people are going to love them. Um, every story is a good story, as somebody just recently told me. And I, I agree with that. I think it's a good idea to, uh, you know, don't hold back. Go ahead and put the stories out there. Well, that's what I'm, I'm trying to do. And uh, and uh, sometimes uh, I notice that on Twitter that 
a common moment is you're about two thirds to seven eighths of the way through your book and you just think that you've wasted three months. <laughs> you, you get to kind of towards the end and you think, gosh, I got to put, put a good ending on this story and I think I know what I want to do, but I'm like sick and tired of the story because I've been working on it for so long. And uh, uh, what I found is that you just have to push through and finish yeah. and, um, and you, you'll end up loving what you get. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I definitely admire what you're doing because I've got two genres. One of them I would love to write in, which is Westerns, but I know I can't because I just, I don't have the vernacular. Um, and maybe, maybe I need to watch more Westerns. Uh, but uh, the other <laughs> one, the other one would be romance. I know I would not be any good with, uh, with romance. And even though I like to put a touch of it in my stories, I usually just base it on, you know, a moment, maybe something with uh, my, my wife and I, if I've done something good that turned out well one time. <laughs> oh, great. I'll use that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I think that's the that's a, a clue that you've discovered. And that is, you know, you may be a thriller writer and have that the structure and the and the the approach that makes those work. But if you can get some humor and some romance in there, it, is, it just pleases the heck out of your reader. I think so. I think so. And I think that's what's going to make your books stand out as well, having these different timelines and such different uh, locations and stuff with yours. It's, it's not just romance. It's something futuristic or historical around this event, a real event that took place. So I, I always think that's a really good way to make them stand out. And, uh, yeah. Well done. I think I can't wait to see what uh, what you got coming up. Well, what uh, where can people find find you online? Uh, I do have a website. It's called uh, bobyoungauthor.com, and that uh, would give people the full range of the kind of writing I've done over time. Um, there's a couple samples of short stories, a um, couple a uh, couple plays described it. Um, are newer, um, and then the, the seven books that I've written so far with a, uh, a, a decent synopsis for each, uh, the covers of the book, uh, and lots of information of how to reach uh, my publisher, classactbooks.com, uh, where they can get the book, or and some of the later books can be found on Amazon. Okay, and, and by the way, yeah, you have a really cool website. I could just stare at that beach for hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I, I grew up, uh, my, I grew up in southeastern Pennsylvania and, and our treat was to go to the Jersey Shore. So, uh, I couldn't help but put those, uh, waves rolling in and on the beach there. Um, uh, in fact, one of the things I want to figure out is how to add a little audio so that when you hit the website, you can hear those waves hitting the beach as well. Oh, but, uh, gosh. yeah. <laughs> and, and I had fun, um, have fun updating it uh, when a new book comes out and making sure people can get a feel for what I'm trying to do. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, everybody needs to definitely go check it out. You can uh, look it up yourselves or you can click the link in the show notes. I'll make sure and have that on there as well as any uh, social media links and uh, we'll get you over there and connected to Bob. Bob, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I, I cannot wait to hear your story and uh, I, I I'm just so happy to have had you on here. Thanks, Jason. It's really been fun talking to you tonight. It's my, been my pleasure, and I've, I've had a lot of fun talking with you as well. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to hand the floor over and uh, sit back and listen intently to Bob Young reading from Julia's Bombardier. So we're in the middle of the, the book. Um, Julia's been through a lot in her life. She's lost one boyfriend to the retreat at Dunkirk. And she's a writer for her newspaper when the RAF decides to put an airfield in her town so that the 8th Air Force can fly B-17s over France and Germany. And uh, this is a, a moment when she's actually been um, interviewing someone who's actually building the airfield. And 
And it's the point in the book where she meets her bombardier. All traffic in town, around the airfield, and in the air increased as 1943 began. More B-17s with their crews arrived. More men from Lang and Company came to the site as they tried to finish up as quickly as they could before the bombers began their operational runs. The Lang staff was on orders from the RAF and the 8th Air Force American Command to keep the published stories in the Mardler, the local newspaper, only about daily airbase life. Hitler seemed to be focused on bombing London's civilian population, but they didn't want us to see flight mission stories about the Thorpe Abbott's base. The reality was reinforced by the addition of an American lieutenant joining Mr. Warburton when I did an interview. Julia, this is Lieutenant McCrory from the 8th Air Force team. Part of his job is to provide information to the press. Lieutenant, this is Julia Donwell. Nice to meet you, Miss Donwell. You're from the local newspaper? Yes, Lieutenant. Mr. Warburton has been telling me that information about the work the bomber crews are doing will be limited for a while. That's correct, he said. What will you be releasing and how often? Can I call you for updates? I'll be giving you general reports from the air wing's effectiveness, usually paraphrasing my commander's assessment that he shares with his men. I won't be able to tell you exactly where they have been operating. You certainly can call, but I can't always promise to be available. My clerk will take messages and I'll get back. Can I interview individual airmen? No problem at all. They are well trained about what they can't say. They will probably enjoy talking about Thorpe Abbott's and how it compares to their hometowns. How about casualty information, I asked. We will release numbers without names and only after their families are notified, so that info will be delayed. What if one of our of the bombers is damaged and comes down outside the airfield proper? We would appreciate discretion if there are injuries and casualties. Can I get some photos of the aircraft to run in the paper? I can provide those close-ups of crews working around a plane, but nothing that might reveal armaments. I understand. Mr. Warburton, how close are you to finishing your work here? We hope to be done in four months. What's next in, for your crews? Unfortunately, Julia will be moving down to London to concentrate on reconstruction of some of the raid damage. I'm sure there is some important work to do in that regard. I finished the interview and went outside to wait for Mr. Raymond. About 25 meters from his car, a group of airmen were unloading and sorting packages sent by families. They had hand trucks headed to various parts of the installation. I enjoyed the enthusiasm of the mostly American forces. You would think they were on holiday. One of the airmen noticed me and waved, calling out, hello. I waved back. A few others noticed who he was waving at, and more of them started to wave. Hey, Bernie, is that your sister? That's not Bernie's sister. Bernie's sister is ugly. There was laughter. That's the general's daughter. You guys better watch your language. If she's the general's daughter, she's heard every swear I know. More laughter. They had me laughing, too. Hey, sister, want to see our B-17? At that moment, Mr. Raymond came out. I have to go back to work. And I pointed to the car and my boss. Maybe 10 tonight. There were loud hoots and hollers. I retreated to the car blushing. Friendly bunch, those Americans, Mr. Raymond said. They are not shy. The airmen continued to wave as we pulled away. After work, I walked to the green grocer to pick up some fruit. Mom and I were going to bake some pies. As I entered the shop, I immediately noticed a captain from the American Air Wing standing with Mr. Fitzpatrick, the owner of the store. They were standing over the very bin I needed. I walked into another aisle to stay clear of them. I surreptitiously looked at the young man. He was about a hand taller than I, slim, with fair complexion and sandy hair. He was in a jovial mood, happy, I suppose, to be off base for a while. His confidence had something to do with being an officer. Our young officers usually were children of well-to-do families. I suppose this fellow was probably from a prominent American family. He barely looked old enough to have finished university. He was attractive, and it immediately worried me that I could think so. All I needed was to have anything to do with the first American soldier I saw up close. In no way was I in the emotional place to date anyone. Terry's face filled my brain, and I turned to go deeper into the shop, walking away from him. 
Oh, Julia, will you teach this Yank about our apples? Mr. Fitzpatrick walked away from the American captain in frustration. I watched Mr. Fitzpatrick walk away and I was paralyzed. This was exactly what I didn't need to happen. I looked at the airman and a very welcoming smile deepened on his face as he took me in. Somehow, I pivoted into my well-earned and deeply experienced attitude I used as my default around all men these days. I slowly walked to the bin and Mr. Fitzpatrick's abandoned customer. When I was finally a foot or two from him, I had to note that the boy was quite handsome, his crisp, trim uniform accenting his youthful frame. What were you going to do with the apples? I asked him in a dispassionate voice. I want a large sweet apple my crewmates can stuff in a pocket and eat when they have a quiet moment. These are sweet, but they're so small. You could buy them each too, I suggested. These are nice and big. Those are tart. They are usually used for making pies. I started to fill a medium-sized bag with these to buy and take home. I walked away from him to the front of the store to pay. That little exchange was all I could handle. My insides felt wobbly, taking on that much. When I stood at the register, he was right by my side. I put the apples and my purchases from previous stops in the village on the counter. My hands were free to pull out the money I needed. Joni, let me carry all of this. Her name is Julia Yank, Mr. Fitzpatrick said in the growl. I'm sorry, Julia. You've got a lot of things to carry. I could help, the airman said, smiling sweetly. Mr. Fitzpatrick scowled and I saw he was about to give the soldier a piece of his mind. Of course, Captain, you can help, but it doesn't seem right for you to use your precious off-duty time that way. One and fifteen pence, Mr. Fitzpatrick said, shaking his head, disappointed that I hadn't sent the American packing. I paid him. I have the rest of the day to explore Thorpe Abbott's, the captain said. You're not AWOL, are you? I asked, testing his good humor. Not until 10 p.m. My name is Sam. Julia. He grabbed my bag of apples and we walked out of the shop. Sam, I can't imagine taking you so far out of your way this afternoon, I said, trying a little harder to shake him. As I carry your parcels home for you, you could give me the tour, Sam said. He looked earnest, open, happy, and like a Boy Scout, dutifully taking care of some random dowager as she crossed the street. I calculated that in 10 minutes I would be home and free of him. I took a deep breath and started to walk toward home. That's the cart and pony, one of our pubs. I handed over the rest of my purchases. I suspect you've been there. Not yet, actually, he said. We have a superb sweet shop over there, the stationer, the butcher, and town hall. Wonderful. We walked on. This way you have homes and a road that takes you to the west and another small town. If we had walked east, you would have seen our parish church and school. Maybe next time, he said, with clear expectations in his expression. I looked away. I didn't want to reveal the smile his gentle pursuit put on my face. I was embarrassed he could so easily please me. I regained my composure. These homes are quite old, dating from the early 19th century. A few are older than that. The nave of the church dates back to the 17th century. That's older than I'm used to. My hometown was just an Indian village in the 17th century. This is pretty ancient territory, Captain. There are stone remnants of Druid temples in the area. Really? Can I sign up for that tour? Let's just get the groceries home tonight. Yes, Julia, he said, laughing. This time he caught me smiling. There go some of your friends. We watched the B-17 slowly flying north. If I could see the number on their tail, I could tell you whose crew's up there, but heading that way, they're just training. Don't tell me too much, Captain. We could be overheard especially since I'm talking to a journalist. How do you know what I do? I said, stopping on the lane to look him in the eye. I was part of that crowd unloading the truck at the field the other day. But how? I interrogated the Lang boys to find out who you were. So when you called me Joni back in the shop, that was you kidding around? I gave him a fake sour look. I didn't want to frighten you that I already knew something about you. What else do you know? That Warburton fellow is fond of you. He knew a lot. I'm shocked that merely an acquaintance would tell any part of my story to some strange American player. I turned abruptly and headed for home again. He was actually looking out for you, telling me what you did. 
I don't know what's more alarming, your unbridled confidence to build a book on me or the role for which you have cavalierly volunteered. We had arrived at the steps to our kitchen door. It's helpful to be confident, he said, his own tone slipping and his smile disappearing for the first time since I had met him. Pray tell, Captain, what is your job on a B-17? I'm a bombardier, he said matter-of-factly. Oh, heavens, I said, taking in the reality of his risk. They saw how bad a shot I was firing a machine gun, so they may be a bombardier. His broad smile returned. I looked at him, realizing the smile had no insanity behind it. He wasn't throwing himself at Hitler's tanks like Terry had. Sam really thought it was his place to join the fight with a sense he would never be shot down. I was a wordsmith, but I couldn't find the word to describe his attitude. Is this your place? He asked. I didn't really hear him. I was still searching for the word. Courageous wasn't quite right. Committed was better. I realized I needed more time with him to figure it out. As we stood at the kitchen door, I started to wish I knew a respectable way to tell Sam I wanted to see him for lunch or something. Julia, Mom said, opening the back door, who is your friend? I didn't know enough to properly introduce him. I'm Sam Borneman. It's great to meet Julia's mother. Thank you, Sam. I'm Alice Domwell. Won't you come in and join us for supper? That sounds great. He carried the packages into our kitchen. Mom took care of my wish. The guys were at the table already, and Mom introduced Sam to Dad and Robbie. They both rose to shake his hand. I took Sam's service jacket and hung it on the coat tree by the front door. Thanks for inviting me to dinner. I am the luckiest guy at the airfield. You're not getting anything fancy, Sam, Mom said. Fancy isn't the issue. Family dinner, wonderful. You're very welcome here, Sam, Dad said. Thank you, sir. What is your work, Mr. Donwell? Sam asked. As Dad started to describe his job and Mom filled our plates, I realized they didn't have the calm or the serenity Sam was showing me. I could get to a semblance of calm if I was riding Mercedes, but I had never come at life like Sam. I wondered if his well-to-do background gave him the security to range into the adventure and danger of this war the way he did. I had lots of questions. So we're tapping into your phone system at the base? Yes, we had to beef up our switch exchange to accommodate the equipment you wanted. That makes me wonder whether having so many extra people quickly added to your exchange is causing shortages in your shops. I haven't heard any complaints, but then you are getting a lot of your needs met through your supply line. We see the extra trucks. That's true. To mom, he said, this is tasty, Mrs. Donwell. What do you do? I work for the embroidery shop in town. Really? My family runs a textile mill back home and we make a line of dress suits. That sounds like a big operation, mom said. It keeps my father out of trouble, Sam said. While you're here, who's doing your job at the mill, dad asked. I was at Cornell when I enlisted, a college in New York State. My job was to finish my degree. Unfortunately, my career goals probably don't make me useful in the mill. I'm trying to become a civil engineer. Roads, bridges, and public buildings, Dad asked. Correct. Very ambitious, Mom said. Well, see if I can get the grades when I get back, he said, smiling. Robbie, what kind of hobbies do you have? I enjoy working with Dad in our workshop in the basement, and I enjoy target shooting with my 22 caliber rifle at my uncle's farm. Could I get a tour of your workshop before I go? Of course, Robbie said. When we can get to your uncle's farm, I need some shooting lessons. I'm a terrible shot. Everyone laughed, and Robbie looked proud. Sam took another bite of dinner, savored it, and turned to me. Have you always liked writing? As long as I can remember. You've gotten good enough to write for the newspaper. That's a big thing, Sam said. Part of it is that many of our reporters have enlisted. I'm sure the enlistment efforts have impacted both your and your father's workplaces, but I read your article from earlier in the week, and you are good. Thank you. Which story was that? It was the follow-up on the kinder transport efforts and the placement of those children in homes around the country. Yes. In my parents' business, they have employed German prisoners of war. There are mixed reviews on that process. We've heard a couple of BBC reports about POW placements. It makes things less nervy here, not having to absorb those soldiers into our community. I understand British concerns. It's a trade-off. You feel less vulnerable, but you give up the help bringing in the harvest. We've read that you don't put all POWs to work. 
True, some are too committed to the Fuhrer to work in an open factory. I'll show you some letters from home. Would you? I'd like that. Is your article about the base out yet? Tomorrow. I'm interested to see what they were willing to tell you. We were expecting the release of information to slow down once you went operational. You don't get to talk to Warburton alone anymore, I gather, Sam said. Lieutenant McCrory. Oh, yes, I hope he was cordial. Very. You're going to write for the paper all your life? That's the plan. I seem suited for it. I'm sure it's hard to write about all this war news. It will be much more fun when the war is over. With your country helping out, I could get back to writing just about garden festivals and church fates, I said, smiling. You might have time to write a book about these exciting years. Maybe. Fiction would be less harrowing than writing about how nasty people can get. True enough. There's always writing love stories. What would I know about that? I said, teasing him. My family laughed. Maybe when you're just a bit older, he said, smiling. Maybe. You have to buy my book when it gets released, I teased him some more. Copies for my family and all my friends. Everyone laughed at that. Thanks for dinner. I need to get back on base. My father invited him to meet us at Dad's favorite pub for dinner and a pint. He heartily agreed. He got up, retrieved his uniform jacket, and said his goodbyes to my family, and I walked him out the kitchen door. He went down the kitchen steps and pulled out a small pad and pencil from his breast pocket. Can I write you a note every so often? Yes, of course, I said. This is 218 Roving Lane? That's right. Can I call when I get leave again? We could have dinner, as your father suggested, at his pub. Or we could go to Carla's, I suggested. At work, you can reach me at MN2323. Home is RV5627. Thanks. It was great meeting you, I said, trying to give him my calmest self. I appreciated today's guiding tour, and thanks for sharing your wonderful family with me. you have it folks that was romance author bob young reading a sample chapter from his his wonderful book julia's bombardier hey don't forget to follow the links in the show notes for bob's website and uh other ways to contact and follow him uh don't forget to also click the links for our friends and sponsors right here at the show i'm gonna invite you one more time don't forget to come out to reader's world of warnsburg april 27th from one to three you can meet me pick up my book and uh, many other previous guests of the show will be there so if you can make it over please do i hope to see you there and i hope to see you again next week whenever we have another author another book and a new sample chapter take care everybody